Happy Boxing Day. It's Chapo. Put up your dukes, folks. Time to fight your dad under the Christmas tree. (laughs) Boxing Day. We're back with uh, another episode for you. An episode for you that's a treat for us. We hope it'll be a treat for you. This this episode is all treats. This is the stocking stuffer full of Reese's Pieces. It's a treat because just a few days ago before Christmas, we thought we were going to get lumps of coal. And according to the Atlantic Magazine, in fact, we got nothing at all. Yeah, Atlantic Magazine came out with their list of the uh, 50 best podcasts of 2017. And uh, big shout out to number 33, our friends, uh, The Weakling Hour, hosted by uh, Ron Pussy and Joey Coward, which talks about uh, times that they've made eye contact with various minorities on the train and left the train immediately, even while it was moving. It's sponsored by a medical startup that covers train exiting uh, train exiting injuries. Number 20 is uh, Times I've Cried, and it's hosted, it's hosted by uh, just two people underneath covers in a big bed. And they're talking about things that have made them cry, which could be anything from a an IAMS commercial, you know, where it's like, uh, oh, sometimes your dog gets old, but you still love them, to, uh, you know, just a particularly emotionally evocative victory pose from Overwatch. Uh, number number uh, one, no surprise, The Daily with Michael Barbaro. Oh, Hell yes! God, I knew we could never compete. With no. that charismatic power people house. love Michael. My family loves Mikey, Michael Mikey Barbs is just a sexual tyrannosaur. Mikey Barbs, number one podcaster in the world of 2017. Uh, so we got to start 2018. But by the strong. way, followed with, followed by. So it's number one is the official New York Times podcast. Number two is the official Washington Post ca- podcast. The rest of the list is just every show that's on NPR, which are not fucking pa- podcast hand claps between those words. Hi. This is Ira Glass. John thought that he was a normal man. Until one day, someone went doo-doo in his bed. This is This American Life. We're talking about doo-doo ass this week. Atlantic Magazine. No Chapo. No Street Fight. No Come Town. No Episode One. No Champagne Sharks. Basically, no independently Nothing produced podcast good. at all. So here's what I got to say. 2018, no Atlantic Magazine. No Jeffrey oh, Goldberg. Oh, it, it, I love Jeffrey Goldberg. <laughs> no on. more Jeffrey Goldberg. It is devoutly to be fucking wished. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can you imagine what we're going to do without any content that's just basically all uh, nested advertising for the fucking Aspen Ideas Festival? Goodbye. And like selling Rube's tickets to sit there and watch Thomas Friedman say, the future is a world that is no longer flat but curved. Watch me bust my pussy open for Nuriel Rabini. Tickets are only $300,000. Goodbye, Atlantic Monthly. Hello, Pacific Standard. Ron, Ron was, by all accounts, a successful man. A lawyer. Magna cum laude. The perennial middle child. But Ron had one problem. He thought the pussy was on the front of the crotch like a penis. Through well, several failed relationships and even a broken off engagement, he mashed his pelvis into the pelvic wall of the woman, bending his dick to a complete right angle. But when we met Ron this week, he didn't admit he was wrong. 
He said all those women just had their pussy in the wrong place. <laughs> this we're, is this American life. <laughs> sexual mishap. <laughs> well, we're we're definitely on the twenty eighteen list for sure. For that one, yeah. And alone, we wanna we yeah. wanna close out the year super strong with like a, a Christmas gift to us. It felt like it was a gift to us personally. It's really a gift to the world. Let's just get into it. I'm talking, of course, about actor, musician, spiritualist, diplomat, statesman, Aikido master, Stephen J. Seagal. I don't know if J. Is Scratch good. golfer, master chef, world peace advocate, law enforcement officer, law enforcement officer. Oh, a covert operator, tier one, the only civilian, according to his own website, to ever defuse a nuclear bomb. Steven Seagal, our sort of spiritual guru and mentor. He can add another thing to his list of accomplishments, and that is now author. Author. You know what? Also, another thing I got to say, you know, 2017, we've uh, had a lot of people that we've admired. They've turned out to do, you know, horrible sexual assaults, be sexual harassers, you know, just brilliant people that we love, like Mark Alperin and Glenn Thrush. But the nice thing about Steven Seagal is he's never done anything like that. No, absolutely. He's someone that it's you, you can still endorse his work with a, with a clear conscience. Totally. Yeah, you don't have to separate the man yeah. and the artist. They're one. His his life is his art. Yeah, absolutely. He's the opposite of a predator. He keeps women safe. Yes, because he's in the order of the shadow wolves. What's, what's the op- What's the opposite of a predator? A protector. Yeah. And Steven Seagal is a protector, and now he he, and now he has written a novel called The Way of the Shadow Wolves, The Deep State and the Hijacking of America. This is by Steven Seagal and co-author Tom Morrissey with a foreword by Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Hell yeah. Oh, you know what the best thing about this is? We finally learned Morrissey from the Smiths' first name. (laughs) I mean, this is how you know that this is going to be good, and this is how you know that Steven Seagal is a next-level genius. He's one of those figures who his contemporaries misunderstand because they're not on the level that they could even understand, come close to grasping what he's about. Because a book with the subtitle The Deep State and the Hijacking of America... Yeah, a novel. You would think, no, that sounds like a nonfiction book, something in the current events section of Barnes & Noble. It's a fucking novel well, because it, it breaks through all of your bullshit now, self-imposed categories. Now, well, I, it's like a cat person. You know, everyone thought cat person was a personal essay because they're used to reading essays about, you know, relationships and stuff, but it was a short story. You know, this is like cat person for men. Yes, this is this is the book that all men need to read and need to think about. Very Actually, seriously. women need to read it because they need to. Okay, with cat person, women were like, men need to read this to understand what it's like when they're a, a Reddit guy with the garbage pipe, can't lay pipe. But with with this, it's like, well, women have to learn why we have to be redditors with trash dick because the world is scary. And there's a deep it, state. There's a deep state. It's making my dick smaller. It's making me fatter. It's making me worse at sex. Read this, women, now. Let's dive into this, guys. Yes. Let's yes. muff dive into Steven Seagal. Hell yes. I'm just going to begin now. It says here, we dedicate this book to the Native Americans who were victims of genocide <laughs> by the early invaders from Europe. Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Is this, wait, are we reading uh, Steven Seagal or are we reading Settlers? This is, this is Howard Zinn. Uh, so... Uh, this is dedicated. Okay, continue, the dedication continues. It says to the tribal police 
who combine the old ways and the new to defend our border with intelligence and integrity. To the U.S. Marshals, most of whom represent the ideal of the Texas Rangers, the goodness of the nation in one man, one badge, riding alone. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Texas Rangers is still an organization. Like they embody they're, they're, they're the, basically they embody the Texas the, they, State they, Police. So why didn't he just uh, why didn't he just dedicate it to the Texas Rangers? Because they, they embody the out, goodness dude. of the nation. Yeah, but I mean, if they embody the spirit of the Texas Rangers, the Texas Rangers are still around. He could just no. Nah, yeah, wouldn't dude. they embody this? Wouldn't the actual Texas Rangers embody the spirit of the Texas Rangers more than a different organization? The, the baseball team still is still around. Yeah. Uh, and finally, to the average American citizen. Awakened and finally, perhaps ready to confront the deep state and restore our constitution. <laughs> restore our cut. Co- this is so Decker. It's beyond. Yeah. Uh, the next page says, this is a work of fiction and any resemblance to anyone living or dead is purely coincidental. But always remember that the truth comes in many forms. <laughs> wow. Wow. Is this Tristam Shandy? This is like a postmodern masterpiece. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like I'm at a crossing and Steven Seagal is blocking my path. Not because he's fat. He's just tactically wide. <laughs> and he's like, this is, this is a fictional story, but certain elements are true. They may be coincidental. But they may be there for a reason. You have to tell me what the fuck I'm talking about. I imagine also that he pushed himself. He got into this uh, crossway by somebody pushing him on a desk chair. Because I only imagine Seagal now in a very large office chair being pushed around on the wheels. That's not stand up anymore. The highest level of Aikido is sitting down all the time. Yes. Uh, in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's foreword, I'm not going to read all of it, but he says... Um, it's mostly the sound of guns being shot into the ceiling. It says here, I know and have worked with Steven Seagal, who was a law enforcement officer, along with being an international movie star. Awesome dog killer. International <laughs> movie star. He kills dogs with the best of them. International movie star is a great way to put, can only get his films financed in breakaway republics. <laughs> He has an unusual understanding of the world in which this story takes place. <laughs> During his time with my office, he proves his skills as a fugitive hunter when he arrested <laughs> one of our top fugitives within 48 hours after beginning the search for him. He brought us a new and extremely effective way of getting the job done. I first met with Tom Morrissey when he was a chief deputy U.S. marshal for the Federal District of Arizona. We became close allies and united our agencies as we fought the good fight against the evolving threat of illegal drugs that were moving through Arizona. Both of these men bring their experiences to the life on the pages of this book. It is my hope that you have not only enjoyed the storyline of The Way of the Shadow Wolves, but you will also think about the message portrayed here. It is less than a hair's breadth from the frightening truth of what is actually happening today in America. Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Yeah, uh, Steven Seagal revolutionized the way we did policing. He, po- he pointed out, why are you running around shooting all these dogs? <laughs> it takes forever when you could just drive a tank through a dog kennel. Steven, uh, my tribal name is... Uh, he who flattens dogs. <laughs> they call me the Labrador flattener. Now, in- that way Barack Obama can't put them on a gyro. <laughs> <laughs> now, in addition to a like dedication and forward, which is telling you the truth comes in many forms. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes a sandwich, sometimes, sometimes a wrap. <laughs> so sometimes artists use lies to tell the truth. So there's a preface by Seagal himself that spells this out even further. A preface to his own novel. Yeah. And, he, and he says, reading from now, he says, what if the deep... I'm going to read this in Seagal. You got it. Okay. What if the deep state 
is not, as some strive to suggest, unelected government officials, generally in the secret intelligence community and the military, who run amok outside the rule of law? What if abusive elements of the federal government are very much part of the deep state, but they also should be seen as as the best of the servant class, not what? the masters? What the fuck? What's <laughs> the exact same thing, you what if? What if the deep state begins with one of the world's largest churches and one of the world's most powerful families what? who control London and Wall Street as this well is LaRouche. as, as well this as is the, fucking LaRouche as well as the central bank this is Lyndon LaRouche if anyone is a connoisseur of American paranoia Lyndon LaRouche's entire premise is that the queen of England is the ruler of the world and also the chief drug trafficker on earth and also as I should point out from that connecting to that the head of the Church of England, I the love, Anglican Communion. Yeah, the, the, one of the I'm most powerful churches, the full, Anglican Communion. The, excuse me, billions of dollars, my friend. Billions. The and that's Anglican, also Episcopalians. That. Every Episcopalian in the United States is technically part of Being this. Being an Episcopalian or an Anglican is just the same thing as belonging to a Rotary Club. It's the exact <laughs> yeah. same thing. You may or well, it's the World Hub for Drug Trafficking, as Lyndon LaRouche said. So this motherfucker literally picked up a LaRouche pamphlet off of a bus station, and then he turned that into his worldview. This is even better than I'd hoped. Continue. I, wait, I, I love that. I love the Queen of England paranoia that she's one of the most powerful figures. Yeah. This shadowy, this this old uh, senile woman uh, with her hideous fucking family, this ceremonial ruler. I saw one, uh, I saw like flat earth people who were like, uh, you know, think, uh, do your research, think about why they don't want you to know about the flat earth. And it's, it's, it's just incoherent reasons for why. But one of them is... Uh, the Queen of England is the world's largest ant- landowner. She owns $10 trillion worth of land. And they come to Which that... Which would presumably be worthless true. if it were proven to be flat instead of slightly curved. Well, they come to this figure by counting up all the dominions where she's still the figurehead. So, you know... So like all of Australia? Northwest, all of Australia, all of some Northwest Territories, Arctic Island is... Oh, wait, uh, you mean all of Australia? If She owns all of Australia... She's got like at least eleven thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some prime Wait, real estate out there in the outback. This gets better though. He's he's about to get even more woke in this preface. Continuing, what if, what if governments failed to nationalize the central banks, leaving the deep state to be controlled by one of the world's largest churches and one of its most powerful families, with their personally appointed agents throughout the world of finance? What if, what if instead of the House of Windsor, he meant the Gallagher brothers? Uh, you mean Gallagher and Gallagher 2? Yes. The prop comics? <laughs> no, yes. Nolan Liam. What, what no, if, I meant Gallagher and Gallagher 2. Okay. What if they failed to nationalize the central bank? Yes. What does that mean? He's, it means he's the saying that the, the Queen of England controls our central banks. They are not, they are not controlled by national bourgeois. They are controlled uh. by, by the Queen of England. What if the greatest crimes against humanity occur at the banking level where bankers are able to manipulate interest rates and foreign exchange rates. That's true. Create billions in digital cash without backing. Not wrong. Manufacture, quote, derivatives that they sell to unwitting investors and start wars to impact the price of oil and other commodities. Bernie Sanders? That's all correct. (laughs) I mean, LIBOR, we know all this shit. Yeah, yeah, this is the big... This is the uh, sequel to The Big Short, The Fat Short. (laughs) (laughs) It continues. He's... 
this is crazy. He, how woke he is. How like it's like we're writing this this preface here. What, we have to rewrite the book now. <laughs> <laughs> what if beneath the bankers and the politi- are the political parties, generally two parties per country that conspire to exclude all other political parties and true. independence from power. That's true. What if in the United States, one party controls 17% of the eligible voters and the other major party controls 13% of the eligible voters? What if another 20% belong to small parties while fully 50% are independent oh boy. no party preference oh boy. or not interested oh boy what if many active politicians <laughs> could be assumed to be compromised what if they are being bribed or blackmailed by multiple motherfucking parties including the secret intelligence services of their own countries what if co-equal to the political parties are the secret intelligence services what if in addition to the spying on and blackmailing of politicians and judges. The secret intelligence services engage in drug running. That's accurate. Illicit arms trading, money laundering, and child exploitation, in parentheses, pedophilia. (laughs) Probably. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, the the British are any indication. As a means of manipulating specific individuals. What if the, quote, mainstream media is a complicit partner with the banking, political, and intelligence communities? What if com- communicates to the public a broad range of false information and mixes a broad range of mindless entertainment with outright fake news? Ah, there it is. While failing to do serious investigative reporting or provide any foundation for citizens desiring to be informed about current events. That's all Lying true. about international movie stars <laughs> in their basements. What if the universities are also complicit in the deep state narrative? What if most history taught is a lie? What if few realized that the Pulitzer Prize was created to honor the man who invented yellow journalism, the original <laughs> fake news? Good stuff. I'm going to skip, skip ahead a little bit. He goes, uh, he says, what if religions are also complacent in Whoa. the state? What if the deep, he goes on, what if put most simply... The deep state is the totality of the institutions of governance that are used to concentrate wealth and power among the 1% while excluding the 99% from having an effective voice and vote. He literally is just describing the architecture of a capitalist economy. Like He just described base and superstructure, essentially. What if the deep state is our common enemy? What if we the people have the power to say no to the deep state? What if this book is dedicated to the Constitution and to the Republic. Would the answers to the proceeding be in some ways answered? (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Tribal Police, America's Front Line in the Desert. (laughs) Now, this first chapter is weird. I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, It's only noticeable... Because it includes um, stage directions, like it was written as a screenplay. Ah. <laughs> so oh, shit. So this means this is a movie that he could not get some yes. Bulgarian yes. drug dealer to make. To make it into a novel. Shit. Considering what he has gotten produced in the last five years, holy shit, this must be bad. So the book begins like with like actual like, in ita- like italicized directions. It says... In a darkened Arizona movie theater, a somber male voice provides commentary over the Native American chanting and drumming that plays in the background of a documentary film. 
And now this is like the, the documentary. Perhaps the greatest morality play in American history is what occurred in the struggle between the Indian tribes and those in the U.S. government who were hell-bent on civilizing them. And he talks about history, and then it just says another italicized thing. The closing moments of the film arrive, and the credits start to roll as the narrator continues. Native Americans have an innate and powerful spiritual connection with the earth and its creatures. An understanding of the true nature of all that is on this planet and how it works in the perfect balance of cause and effect. An elite group within the Native American communities, known as shadow wolves, (laughs) are part of this perfect balance and are the, quote, best of the best, with the ability to see what can't be seen with the eyes. They know without having to be taught. They blend easily with the night. True right from wrong is ingrained in their souls, which makes them able to stand against evil no matter the cost, to see footprints on rocks. A man sits alone, quietly watching the film in the back of the darkened theater. He stirs to his seat and comments to himself, it's about time. John Goad rises from his seat and continues <laughs> viewing as he backs up slowly, making his way out of the theater into the lobby. Matt, the last name is spelled G-O-D-E. Would you oh. pronounce that Goad? That's Goad, yeah. Goad? I thought it was G-O-A-D and this yeah, was a Jim, Jim Goad, Goad yeah. reference. John God. All right. this is <laughs> John cha- God. Chapter two is where it really starts, and this is the actual book chapter. That, 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 that was sort of introduction, the first chapter. Yeah. It was very weird. So chapter two, deep state sign in the desert. The Arizona desert sky was full of color as the sunset, and the spirit of the night began to stir. The clouds, a brilliant orange, were hanging on the horizon with sun rays lighting them from their bottom up. Love those orange as stars. As the daylight crept beyond the mountains, off in the distance, but not too far from where a man named John Goad was standing. The t- this tall, lean man, who in the Bear approaching man? darkest could have been easily confused with the Seguro cactus, was breathing in the beautiful scene before him. I'm sorry, he's a wolf of a man, yes. I just remembered. The Native American, John Nantan Goad, <laughs> had classic chiseled features and was born and raised on the reservation, leaving it at the age of 18 after graduating high school to join the United States Marines. It was clear even in boot camp that he had something unique going that had its genesis in the words of his grandfather, who taught him the old ways, starting when he was 13 years old. Fucking fish. His spirit was totally connected to this land. He knew that when he walked in the desert, he was stepping where the many brave, bold, and sometimes naive men who preceded him once walked. He could feel their energy and sense their spirit in the, with the way things were playing out in their culture. I feel that way when I go to buy cigarettes. <laughs> How they had been led down a path of total dependence by an elite group of politicians who were concerned only with absolute power. Nothing more nothing left this is my favorite uh trope in bad writing or like bad filmmaking is when someone like goes anywhere they're like you know who else walked these steps my ancestors or like you know someone i respect you know (laughs) whenever i jack off i'm like my grandfather did this (laughs) he never thought that i would be able to afford a one bedroom in new york well i hate it here I bust on my stomach. It coagulates in my belly button. I think the rotten politicians would never do this. The clowns in Congress don't know anything about our ancient ways. 
About 20 feet from where John was standing was a rise in the land. He proceeded with what he was doing despite the action behind him. I'm skipping around a little bit. That's literally a stage direction. (laughs) Moving slowly toward it while shaking his fist in the air. This was his grandfather's old ways method of bidding the sun a good night and asking it to return in the morning. This is classic. This is taking something that someone with dementia did and being like, yeah, that's indigenous. Yeah, my grandfather, my grandfather would shake his fist at the sun and say, don't come back here. Like the Shelbyville guy with the lemon tree. And yeah, that's ancient wisdom, yeah. according to Steven Seagal. Going to the zoo and then having your grandfather yell at a duck. It's an ancient tradition. Well, uh, the the ancient tradition of my people walking around Walmart in a bathrobe and thinking that everyone's my wife. My ancestors posted in this local news comment section. They too were upset about the saggy pants. Yeah, my uh, my my great great grandfather wrote many letters to the newspaper saying that. They should stop hiding the fact that Doonesbury is a Jew. (laughs) It's ancient wisdom. As he was ceremonially dancing and chanting towards the rise, he suddenly dropped to his knees. There there he began his shaman-natured ritual, celebrating the spirit of the wolf, the dominant creature of the night. As he chanted, a shadowy wolf slowly approached him out of the encroaching darkness kissed his forehead and stood there for a moment what? watching him this is very this is magical realism yeah, right yeah, now Matt. Going, the, the, the future yeah. song ibu came on <laughs> wolf shoved his tongue down his throat after a moment the animal turned and looked at the men who had stopped dead in their tracks as they approached from behind the mysterious wolf's fierce eyes glared at them as they froze in place he then slowly turned his glance back to the kneeling native american kissing his forehead again before disappearing back into the shadows At that point, John heard movement coming from what sounded like three men. He got to his feet and continued dancing his way into the darkness. He went, he went, he went, he went behind the rise where he was able to observe them, but they could not see him. John dabbed into the moonlight. He was a ghost warrior, known, <laughs> known as a shadow wolf, one who could easily blend with the night, disappear into the darkness at will. They spread out, moving swiftly without making a sound, closing in from different directions on the place where they last saw him. All three had been startled by the appearance of the wolf and prepared themselves should it attack them. John's first thoughts that they were sent, it was that they were sent by one of the drug cartels to take him out because of his successes with intercepting their supply lines into Arizona. Hey, S.A., we're from the Democratic Party. <laughs> he remained part of the darkness, blended with the desert landscape, observing them, totally hidden from their eyes, his sig sour in the hand, poised and at the ready. As, they, as suddenly as they appeared, they were gone, motionless. John held his position for another ten minutes to make certain they weren't doing the same and waiting for him to move. After a short time, the night sounds of the desert and the spirit of the wolf helped him to know that they were gone. Hang on. So he waited for 10 minutes to make sure they weren't also waiting for 10 minutes. Yeah. That, that's the 10-minute rule. That's All, a, tier yeah. 1 operators know yeah, that. That's true. That's basic that's desert not, tactics. Well, that's a combination of tier 1 and indigenous traditions, <laughs> waiting for 10 minutes. So, and then they were gone. I thought that we had gotten them all, but maybe I was wrong. Never underestimate the deep state. Was jo- <laughs> was John's lingering Wait, thought? What? I thought he thought it was drug cartels. No, oh, no, oh, no not no. mutually exclusive, no. buddy. Someone wasn't paying attention. Okay, here he goes. It was cartel leader Tom Perez? Yeah. Hey, we have some wonderful opportunities for G packs. So that that's setting the scene. He's in the desert, a ghost warrior at night. Three men are tracking him. Now the narrative jumps a few days earlier. Things had started to get strange when he began hearing from a confidential informant that there were black SUVs doing a lot of driving in the night 
out where nobody was. He mentioned a young tribal member. Nobody was, except for the one person who was so, there. Yeah, he, he, he meets this like sort of reservation kid. And he goes, so he says, uh, how come you were out there? John asked the young man whose nickname was Sweet Tooth. I was camping. Out there? Why? John asked. Wanted to be alone, trying to find myself. I'd call that being as alone as you can get without being on the moon, John said sarcastically. What a great turn of phrase. <laughs> amazing. He really just has this an guy, amazing ear for language. This guy is a wit. Yeah. I like being alone, that's all. Oh, wait, no, sorry, that was the kid. How many nights did you see the SUVs, Tooth? So he goes on like this. <laughs> He's talking to the, the, this, this young kid who's out in the desert in the middle of the night. And he saw some SUVs doing shady things. He says, the rangy young Indian was gangly and of average height, dark complexion with long black hair, and a constant, slightly hopeful smile. He wore a black Billy Jack-style flat-top cowboy hat. In his early 20s, he didn't light up the sky with his brilliance. John didn't have to think much before taking him up on his offer. So he's going like, to take him to the, the part, part of the desert where he saw the, the, the black SUVs. When Seagal described his smile, he was just describing the Cleveland Indians logo. <laughs> he just spent this, like, his research for this book was looking at racist sports logos. I did enjoy also the super current and relatable Billy Jack reference. Yep. Yes, he was wearing a Billy Jack hat, and he had the smile of a young Al Jolson. <laughs> <laughs> so going on, it says... Uh, he studied the tracks in the direction wall. Okay. This was a common occurrence in the Arizona desert between the Mexican border and Phoenix. Something, he thought, extremely dangerous, and if left unchecked, could cause the eventual destruction of the United States. Whoa. The deep state within the mainstream media kept the eyes of the country flooded, kept the eyes of the country on the flood of illegals that were coming across the border. They painted them as simple people in need of a better life. It was a cunning distraction to take the eyes off the drugs that billionaire drug lords were pumping into the U.S. John knew why it was working, and he saw it as collusion between the paid-off media and the drug lords. His sense was that the then-presidential administration in Washington was using the media as their potent tool for forwarding their open borders agenda. He felt like they were poisoning the minds of the many who drank up what they were spewing like thirsty nomads in a desert oasis. Oh, I'm so thirsty. Give me that Give me that water. I need to spew it all over the place. That's how I drink. When I don't I'm, know how I keep dying. <laughs> it's weird. I have no idea Every time I drink. go to an oasis, I get a bunch of water and spew it everywhere, and then I fucking die. What oh, the I'm, fuck? Oh, I'm fucking starving, dude. Give me that jerky. I want to chew it for about 20 seconds and just spit it in your face. That's how I eat. I'm... Chronically malnourished for some reason. So the illegals are a distraction from the drug trafficking, yes. but what's supposed to destroy America? The drugs. Well, the drugs. The drugs but no, no, no. Funny you asked that, Virgil. What troubled John even more was that the country was asleep when it came to the OTMs, or other than Mexicans coming across a virtually open southern border into the country and possibly assembling for what America had never known before, a jihadi caliphate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that Steven saw that Breitbart article where somebody found a uh, t-shirt next to the Rio Grande and said, prayer rug. I love the idea. I love the idea of just like a DIY caliphate now, just keep, springing up slowly. They're keep, like they start out with neighborhood watches. They're like, no, it's not nothing weird, nothing out of the ordinary. We're just making sure you're not doing anything I'll haram. You, if, I mean, if, illegal. If I wanted to create a global caliphate or an Amer- a caliphate in America, rather, I'm not going to 
try to get a bunch of guys in the arduous overland journey from Mexico to I don't even know what. Uh, yeah, like established neighborhood watches or like what the fuck is even the plan? All you need to do, kidnap Jake Paul and get him to convert to Islam and you're done because he will then start a bunch of videos to his his Jake Paul fans going, hey, kids, you know what's fucking fleek? Uh, it's the fucking Prophet Muhammad. He's on point. He's, he's swag. Epic fucking swag. And then in two weeks, they would be beheading their parents for for blasphemy and, and raising the black flag over every fucking American small town uh, city hall. No, that's what I don't get. That's my favorite thing about like the right-wing caliphate conspiracy theory is that like people can't even get their neighbors to like join the Kiwanis Club. How are they going to get them? Kiwanis Club. Well, who gives a shit? I'm only pronounced legitimate things like the Islamic State. Uh, how would you get people to join your like junior caliphate? You can't even get people in a beer league. Yeah. Americans have no sense. Of and, and it's like it's a beer league. Also, no beer. Yeah, so no, there's going to be no beer. The deep state is using the illegals to distract from the drug trafficking. Which provides a porous border yes. for the, the caliphate, the caliphate to yeah. come through and to create a new caliphate. Which yeah. is yeah, okay. the, what the deep state wants. The deep they state want wants to be replaced. Just, just, by uh, the just yeah. to, to round out this thought, he says his fear was that they were already spread throughout the country without anyone understanding how big a threat it was, especially in the American cities they could be targeting. So they're already here. I mean, just to be clear, I know I'm, like, trying to figure this out and take this seriously and understand, like, try to discern any kind of co- internal coherence here, but this is actual mainstream conservative thought, right? Oh, yeah. yeah no, no, that's yeah, what this is saying. the center of gravity in the Republican Mainstream Party. conservative thought is that the media is, like, doing daily reports um, about Mexicans and being like, let's just open our borders. And then meanwhile, like, the like they send the women and children first, but behind them are drug traffickers who are also Muslim, and they're selling people lound, so they're too high to resist the caliphate. Although, Matt, you uh, you pointed out this is LaRouche shit, but LaRouche was a Marxist, right? That's how he started? He, he, he was invented very Marxism. eclectic. He was a left-winger. He was a right-winger. He was basically everything at once. He was amazing. It's like, like Marxism I, and Bircherism kind of melded together. Kind of, yeah. The two smartest things you can believe, yeah. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is that what's so frustrating about this, and that, yeah, this is really interesting because in addition to being an absurd document written by a sex pervert and moron, on. Uh, it's also hey, a re- hey, don't insult Tom Morrissey like that. Matt. <laughs> yeah, and a cool genius <laughs> and martial arts god. He wrote Shakespeare's sister. But uh, is that it identifies? This is absolutely tracking with every folk belief of like yeah. the populist right. Like the people banning things can make him president. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. uh, but the thing about it is, you have a basic alienation from capitalism because these are normal people. They don't have a lot. They're not the ones benefiting from from the the current neoliberal order. And then instead of like following that alienation to its roots and capital, they lose themselves in these conspiracy theories mm-hmm. that are more attractive because they are more coherent and make more sense because they they are a narrative that tracks with the narratives that they see in entertainment yes. like fucking yes. Steven Seagal exactly. films. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. So he's um uh, uh, Agent John Goad is sort of uh, talking to this kid, Sweet Tooth, who's kind of a kind of a, a scale, kind of a shit heel, but he still he, see, he sees something in the kid, despite him being scrawny and weak. 
So he says, "Hey uh, kid, you could do all my actions for me while I sit down for three hours." He says. He felt a sudden surge of sadness fill his heart as he recalled his own upbringing by a mother who struggled to make his life good and a paternal grandfather who taught him the ancient ways. From time to time, he could understand until he went off to the Marines. He thought about the way he was guided and kept on the path by two people who cared about him and the way his life should be. Did Sweet Tooth have anything like that in his life? My name is John Goad. John Nantan Goad He answered without a tra- With a trace of sensitivity <laughs> Cool I like that <laughs> You are this quiet guy Who moves around Like no one I have ever seen just very, just- You are a res man And yet You ain't He had a curious expression On his face But he seems sincere In a crude way How does a dude Get himself a job Like yours A dude Gets himself a high school diploma for starters. You got one of those. So then, uh, Sweet Tooth goes on and like tries to tell him that like he wants to become a cop, and you know he's been in some trouble before. Blah blah blah. And and the whole time he's uh, John Nantan Goad uh, is you know sort of coaxing out of him the story of what he saw in the desert the other night with dark SUVs moving small boxes from truck beds into SUVs and and men, strange men in the desert. While he was, quote, camping out. So, continuing, it says, John didn't buy all of his story, but the part that he did caused him to fully understand that what was taking place out there under the cover of darkness was not something to be celebrated by good people. There was a feeling about this place that disturbed John, but he couldn't put his finger on what that feeling was. It stirred something in his memory that made him feel uneasy though he couldn't quite get where it all came together. It seemed to take him back to the things his grandfather had warned him about when he was spending time learning from the old man. He remembered being told that he had the spirit of the snake in his bloodline, and that quote gave him power over some people and many snakes. (laughs) (laughs) It was... It wasn't until he became a full-grown man that he was totally understood what that meant. But what had been going on in that place at that time was unsettling at best. <laughs> so then he asked, he goes, as they began the... For ro- every one person that I can control, I can control between 80 and 96 days. <laughs> I just love like how he's not greedy. He's not like... No, no, it'd be ridiculous if I could control all the snakes. It's just like, you know, it's like people. Some of them like you, some of them don't. Just some of the snakes will do my bidding. I know as, I know as much as you about it. Uh, and then he, he, he grills Sweet Tooth for what his real name is, and he gets it out of him. And I'd just like to make note of the fact that uh, Sweet Tooth's real name is a character uh, that's named Henry Begay. So it's John Nantan Goad and Henry Begay are the Two main characters. Normal guys so far. having a normal adventure. So uh, regular names people have. He says he stopped dead in the middle of the small dirt road, and in the middle of his sentence, when he noticed several coyotes pawing the ground just off to the side of where they were driving, John got out quickly. He then paused for a few seconds before beginning to walk cautiously towards the animal. The younger man stayed in his seat, not wanting to move until he knew what was going on. He froze when he saw John draw his weapon slowly. The big man was hoping he wouldn't have to use it on the dogs as he moved to within 15 feet of the small pack. They took off when he made some strange sounds and spoke words in a language the young Native American had never heard before. (laughs) 
He shook his head, saying to himself, I believe those animals understood every word this guy said. This is some crazy shit, man. He said that to himself. He said, I, I, I believe that this tall man is speaking to those coyotes. This is how, crazy. How, how is this a Steven Seagal character where when encountering a group of canines, he doesn't just shoot them with a rocket launcher? <laughs> well, no, this gives some insight to that interaction. Like, maybe they said something. <laughs> you know? Maybe they were begging for suicide by cop. <laughs> Most co- dogs that cops kill are looking for a way out. <laughs> so uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a doggo whom have whom feel like he's on fire in him soul. <laughs> Fourteen out of ten. Please kill me, fat sexual predator. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, basically, uh, John Agent John Nantan Goad uh, finds a woman's body in the desert in a shallow grave. Uh, her hands and feet are missing. Uh, she's a Caucasian woman, though. They made sure to <laughs> so that you'll the audience will actually care. Um, and Hen- Henry Henry Begay uh, is worried that his bro- it was his brother who's in his words been running with some bad people, really bad people, man. And then so like he keeps trying to get the whole story out of Henry Begay, aka Sweet Tooth. And then he says, uh, I don't know why. He says, I don't know why. I just can't talk about it with anyone. You wouldn't understand any of this shit, man. It's like family stuff. What kind of family stuff? It's John- family of snakes because I would extremely understand that. <laughs> John watched his reaction to the question closely. Stuff like, I thought he may have gotten himself into some bad karma and it caught up with him. You want to tell me the story? The whole story? Then maybe I can help you? Sweet Tooth looked down as he spoke. He shook his head, expressing self-pity. Not too many people into helping me these days. Well, maybe you just met one. (laughs) John was stoic, but his sincerity came through when he wanted it to. My feeling is that you got something on your shoulders that maybe needs to be lifted off. Talk to me. The younger Native American wanted to trust John, and he actually had to fight back the tendency to do so. He had been burned by a lot of people he had trusted before and had adjusted his thought process to stay away from anyone but family when it came to an issue like this. I got a question for you, Goad. What? Do you know anything about the Mexican military running practice shit on this side of the border? Practice shit? What kind of practice shit are you talking about? Maneuvers? Just that so that, like, the line is so funny to me. So uh, he's just uh, the Mexican military or somebody is doing something in the Arizona desert with like SUVs and trucks and boxes and business. And uh, it has something to do with Henry Begay's brother who's got in with the cartels. And he goes, there's more to this than you're telling me, Henry. John's eyes were like molten steel when he, did, when he didn't hear what he wanted or if he felt he was being played. And at that moment, he felt like he was being played. But John's body was like a molten lava cake. <laughs> he bent towards Sweet Tooth's face since he was a good six inches taller and said, Stop bullshitting me with half stories, man. You're not telling me anywhere near what you know. And it's making me not want to help you, Henry. So then, like, it uh, goes on for a little bit. Uh, he tells him more about, like, his brothers working with uh, John pushed him, trying to get a fix on whether or not they might be deep state operatives <laughs> that Henry Begay's brother. No, they weren't American, but he said that there were these heavy breathing Arab guys coming out of them. <laughs> heavy breathing? 
what was making them breathe heavy? Felix was with them, basically. <laughs> Felix, was doing, Felix was doing Hezbollah <laughs> desert maneuvers the, in his new training. I want to know... Well, first, I want to point out that the maneuvers line is hilarious because it's classic Seagal dialogue where someone describes like an event or uh, something going on to him. And they're like, yeah, they were, uh, they were doing... Um, they were shipping drugs out. And Seagal will say something like, you mean... Exporting, like he does, he does what I call thesaurus dialogue, which is like whenever you're talking to someone, you don't quite know what they're talking about, but you want to make sure that they know that you're on their level and you can associate words with them that don't quite move the dialogue forward. But because every dialogue, uh, every every bit of dialogue and every Seagal thing is just like from two different movies smashed together, it doesn't matter. So there's heavy breathing Arab guys. But why, why did he doing maneuvers of the Mexican army in the Arizona desert? Does he say so why he goes, they were heavy breathing? Well, he goes heavy breathing. What was making them breathe heavy? No, it doesn't have nothing to do with breathing. It's like the way they talk, man. He said they sound like they're gargling when they speak. They got some bad accents. Tooth tried to explain it as best he could. Did he tell you anything else about these guys? Yeah, he said that when he they had them get they had him get some women and hashish for when they were done with whatever they were doing out there in the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they came in on flying carpets. <laughs> that was his job. Their leader, Aladdin. <laughs> they, they said something about making America a whole new world. <laughs> they got this. They got this weapon of mass destruction. It's a lamp. Yeah. If the strange thing was, when they were done, they just hugged my brother and said, Jeannie, you're free. <laughs> so that was his job? You're telling me your brother's a pimp and a drug dealer? Yeah, and that's what worries me. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't been promoted in three years. He, yeah, he said he was going back down to Mexico with the rich guys, and they were going to stay there for a while because they were hiring him to help them with some projects. Projects? Bear Stearns Bravo? Did they? <laughs> projects? Did he say what kind of projects? No, that's all. That's all he said, and he took off. He's got him a nice ride now. It's an Audi with Sonoran license plates. He's been strutting around all proud, like he finally made something of himself. John ran tooth story through his head, thinking that this was shaping up to be something that couldn't be classified as a happy ending for the young Henry Begay. The way people go missing in Mexico is becoming more and more expected in some circles of society these days. <laughs> and Jimmy Begay seems to be traveling in those circles. Jimmy Begay is the brother. I, I, have a, I have a theory. I haven't read the book, obviously, but I have a theory about the plot. Jimmy Begay is doing crime, like doing federal crimes so he can turn state's evidence and go into witness protection and they can finally give him a new last name. <laughs> the most convoluted plot. So uh, they find they find the body in the desert. CSI crime scene investigations unit shows up, and then uh, Sweet Tooth says, "Well, like I'm going to be your assistant on this, right?" My assistant. John looked at him with a slight smile. There is something going on with this kid that John found worthy. <laughs> now let me think this through. You're going to be my assistant. My assistant, what? Your assistant, a uh, cop, I guess. You guess? John was beginning to enjoy his newfound friend's naivete, but that coupled with his sense that somehow, some way, Jimmy Begay might be messing with some danger people. <laughs> he literally. 
literally, <laughs> like he literally is saying, like he fell in with a bad deep he, like, state he crowd. Just, he just told them that his brother is like doing shit for <laughs> Mexican drug cartels, heavy breathing Arabs <laughs> who want women in hashish in the desert, and the Mexican military operating on the, uh, the U.S. side the, of the border. They were there because they found a woman with her feet cut and off, he's and like, he's like, "Oh yeah, my brother probably did that." And he's, he's like, like oh, "Your brother." I, I, I can't help but have some feeling that maybe Jimmy Begay is involved in some bad shit. Here's man. the thing I really like about this is they're like he fell in with a bad crowd, the deep state. Like, Ev- <laughs> like Evan McMullen is just hanging around the Reds, being like, "Hey, kid, you want to make some money?" Yeah, there's there's like a there's a guy in a, like a spy versus spy trench coat on every corner, being like, "Psst, psst, put this microfilm up your ass." <laughs> so Jimmy Begay might be messing with some danger people. He couldn't shake the notion that this could have something to do with the international deep state. (laughs) (laughs) The the hidden actors who played hard with the truth and understood the real game and its dark rules. (laughs) End of chapter two. That's so good. Opening of (laughs) Steven Seagal's Shadow Wolves. Oh, my God. We're reading every fucking chapter of this. Amazing work by Steven Tentacion. That is so... Yeah, you know... I thought that this car accident, I suspect it might have something to do with the deep state I and wish, its dark ways. I wish Steven Seagal could go back in time to investigate Jack the Ripper and be like, I think this guy might be up to no good. I think this guy might be one of those motherfucking Jews. <laughs> you see that writing on the wall? It says so. So I deduce that he's one of the, the Hebraic peoples. This motherfucker Carl Panzeram seems to have maybe fallen in with a bad crowd. It's the motherfucking protocols of the fucking elders of Zion. Which is basically what this uh, international deep state yeah, is. That's kind of the premise you know, of this You know, book. there are some type of motherfuckers who are A to B motherfuckers. They go from their house to the store to the dojo to even the nightclub. But there are other motherfuckers who be wandering forever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was basically the opening chapter. Cannot wait for more. Very exciting. Really good. This is going to rip and of the slap. Shadow Wolves good. and the secret un- untold history of the bad danger people who make up the motherfucking deep state. Yeah. Who, who are like, it, it sounds like the foot soldiers of the caliphate are like Instagram high sweetie guys yeah. from the Gulf. Uh, yeah, watch out, Ben Shapiro. I think you've been owned. This this is better than Drew. This is seriously, honestly, like no joke. Like this is it has the same weird repetition. Like I didn't, I didn't quite get it. I didn't read the whole thing. But uh, Sweet Tooth is referred to as a young Native American probably six times in the narration. So it has that weird like repetitive tick. But seriously, Tom Morrissey and Steven Seagal are actually. Better prose stylist than Ben oh, Shapiro. Yeah. Well, this, this is really more interesting. This like, is more this, like, the yeah, dialogue. Is more, the character- this is actually exciting. Yeah, 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 ben Shapiro's like boring pedantry. You want to know what happens next? Like, there's always suspense. It's interesting. You don't know the whole thing yet. Whereas, in, like in this, it'll be like. Yes, it's this like fat dumbass and his child sidekick bumbling around the desert. But it's like, whoa! I want to find out the whole plot. But with Ben Shapiro, it's just like. Every scene is just a setup for Ben Shapiro to like reword one of his arguments from his yeah. old Breitbart yeah. columns. Mm, like, oh, uh, look at Mr. the poverty pimp Al Shapiro. Uh, Mr. Al President, Sharpen. nice ad hominem right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, like 
in Ben Shapiro's book, like the scenes are like a guy is captured by Al Qaeda, but like the Al Qaeda guys are like, oh, and uh, by the way, uh, Republicans are more racist than Democrats. The, what, ben the, Shapiro's book is just racist West Wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the real shit. I feel like Seagal, because he spent so much time being a warrior, he didn't develop a ghost warrior, a ghost warrior, not a ghost writer. He didn't develop his prose as he should. But if he had trained that way, I think he could have been like a military epic storyteller on par with Hideo Kojima. That is, yeah. That's uh, we'll we'll be we'll be returning. We'll be returning. Oh yes, for sure. Back to the valley, boys. We might actually finish this. However, to uh, to round first book I'll have read in seven years. To round things out, I know you guys have probably already bought your Christmas gifts, right? We just bought each other Christmas gifts. We just did a Chapo Secret Santa. It was delightful. Thank you to Amber for my kombucha brewing system. It was delightful. We got wonderful presents. Thank thank you to Chris for my diva pop. Thank you to Matt for my Twin Peaks: The Final Dossier book. Yes, and thank you to Felix for my cool Spanish Civil War posters and flag. Thank you to Virgil for the thoughtful thing he got me. That's Amber. Give give Chris the mic so people know what uh, gift I got. Thank you to Will for the cactus and whiskey, which I'm already enjoying. Cactus and whiskey, that's my favorite album. That's like that's like something <laughs> Steven Seagal would do in one of his movies. He just has like a little cactus in his whiskey and he's like the natives say that this the cactus the- unlocks the indigenous spirits. This of is the part whiskey. of the this is part of the old ways. <laughs> so look, I mean Maybe, maybe you know, you've, you've probably already gotten your presents. Christmas is over. But we would be remiss if we ended the year without dipping back into a segment we've done before. This is an annual tradition that comes to us courtesy of Bloomberg View's own Megan McArdle. Hell yes. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Megan McArdle. Probably someone who's given us more content than I think almost anyone else. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, she's like neck and neck with Ben, I would say. She's the gift that keeps on giving, which is ironic because she thinks that giving gifts is contrary to enlightened self-interest. Well, you say that, Matt, but if that were the case, why would she have done for now the 14th time in her, in her career the annual kitchen gift guide. Now, Will, help me out here for a second. I know some websites like Gawker did this and uh, Boing Boing does it. They have like this kind of merchant vertical where, mm-hmm. where it's like, I, I don't know if it's their store or if they're just making money from affiliate links, but they write advertorials for, for gifts, and, uh, you know, merchandise. Is that what Megan's doing? Is she contractually mandated to do this for Bloomberg? No. She, this, is, this is pure. I mean, there are links where you can buy all this stuff, but this is pure. And what wow. I think is amazing about the, the, the kitchen gift guide, and we've, we have done this before. We did do last year's kitchen gift guide at one point. What's amazing about this is, Virgil, you're sitting next to me. I'm going to start scrolling, okay? Yeah. And I want you to give the readers an idea of how long this goes on for, okay? Okay. So we're starting so, uh, here. Starting the scroll is a picture. That's intro. God, that's, has one started yet? Oh my God! I'm still scrolling. Is, he is still scrolling. I'm still scrolling. He's scrolling at a good. I'm, pace. I'm doing fast. Jesus Christ! It's still going. It's still scrolling. And sti- she's not getting paid no, for this. Yeah, she's no. not getting some bonus no, for writing. It, this is still shit. going on. Look she at this. She just wrote her own fucking sharper image catalog. I was literally. I was doing like the fast scroll for probably a good ten seconds. Her columns seconds. are like her regular columns about why poor people need to suffocate and die are like what a thousand words. A thousand words. This is. 30 times longer than any of her average columns. This and what is, is her so, In Search of Lost Time. And, yeah. It's about <laughs> bullshit for your kitchen. Yeah. And in what is so, what is so time holders. <laughs> T-H-Y-M-E. What is so impressive about McArdle's Kitchen Gift Guide is that it's like 
the thing that not only she writes the most about, but it's clearly she puts more of her, I don't know, soul? What's another word for something that, that... Yeah, if you want to call it that. Her stench. Her, her personality. Her I don't know. She doesn't have one of those either. Yeah, I mean, she, she's not... She like, has no soul or personality. Megan Ricardo is not a human being in the traditional sense. Some animals sense. have this gland where they excrete something to mark territory. But like, What's that called? Medic... Med, uh, Megan McArdle is a trust fund with chunky glasses. But here's the thing. Like, her normal output is like shit that's like the hidden cost of uh, family leave or something yeah. like that. Or like, you know, uh, you know, an, a, another look at why uh, you why people will be more eager to die under universal health care. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. And like you can see that it's just phoned in late read her column about italian food it's the laziest goddamn thing about it's like the most banal boring observations imaginable this kitchen gift guide not like she like i said this is like her writing here it's like it's like on a different level than what she normally absolutely you cannot see prose with this sort of diamond hard focus and and secret passion outside of the interstitial chapters of american psycho you know what she's kind of like the opposite of jay-z because all her like bullshit output is about like her beliefs and her experience, which just kind of phoning in, boring. Whereas with Jay Z, that was his best albums. But like, her best work is the stuff about buying high end products, which is also Jay Z's last ten years and his worst work. Well, I uh, I got a kitchen, so let's let's get into it. I so wanna... she begins here. She goes. My annual kitchen gift guide is now 14 years old. She's been doing this for 14 years now. And she says, last year, I switched from grouping by price to grouping Uh, by giftee. And this year, I decided to ask my Twitter followers what they wanted to see more of. The answer, it turned out, was was cookbooks. More This is Megan McArdle's fans, by the way. More gifts for young people just building their first home. Upgrades for young people who have learned how to cook dinner for themselves and now need some really decent equipment. And more, more, more from my go-to cocktail expert, a.k.a. my spouse. Well, readers, I heard you, and I've delivered Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and a joyous whatever else you may be celebrating in December. Her spouse is that gaming guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They married? Peter Sutterman, who who sends his time gaming to avoid talking to her about the fucking fixtures in their fucking, and the splash guard and how they have to fucking fix it for the 15th straight year. I swear to God, I cannot cannot even begin to read, like, even one-tenth of how long this is. So I'm just going to go at random now. This is going to be like William Burroughs cut up Megan McArdle just like just spewing just ad copy from like whatever void is inside of her yeah one one thing before that though my kitchen gift guide is now 14 years old which means that roy moore is gonna ask it on a date dab on them matt okay so i'm just gonna like like i'm gonna go into sort of like a few state right now and i'm just gonna just read randomly here i'm channeling megan like I was channeling Seagal before, which is a weird <sighs> dichotomy, but I'm, I'm but a conduit. They would be a power couple. They should get together. Here we go. Most folks want a nonstick pan for eggs and grilled cheese sandwiches, some measuring cups, maybe some utensils. So I laid out the basic kit for doing everything from making pasta to roasting chicken, and I tried to do it in as few pieces as possible so that it could be stored in a tiny kitchen. Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, 
Here's the truth about nonstick pans. They all die eventually. Better quality pans will wait longer before giving up the ghost. Through care and harpy-like shrieking at anyone who tries to stick a metal utensil into them, I've managed to hang on to a couple of the Califon saucepans from a set I bought in the sorry, 1990s. Sorry, Megan. Uh, All pans will die because of entropy that consumes the universe. <laughs> I drove away my entire family by screaming at them about putting metal utensils on my the- nonstick pans. And at the cost of every... Every warm relationship in my life, I still have them. No, that, that is true, though. People get very obsessed with their nonstick pans and their cast iron bullshit. I don't fucking care. Fuck off. Cast iron is good. I, I endorse. Yeah, that. well, if I, if I, if I took a metal spatula next to your cast iron, you would you would start shrieking. No, you can have metal. Okay, where's your, no, your cast, cast iron? Ca- cast yeah, iron, you can do anything. They're the opposite. Yeah. You do anything to them. You don't have to be super. Fussy you know, you know why you're not supposed to use metal in the nonstick pants, though. Right? Well, I know that. Wait, wait, wait. What is it that people obsess about about the not, about the cast iron? Though? Cast iron. You don't wash it. You're not supposed to soap it up. Charge it after you 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 wash it, which means you have you, to like, like put, put oil, oil back on it. on it to keep it like you uh, know. That that's no deal. Wait a minute. You're supposed to do that. Yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> I have a, I have a cast iron. I don't do that. It's probably uh, well. killing me now. No, you know what? I know I'm wrong, but I lived with somebody who had a cast iron pan, and he was a huge prick, and he got mad at me for using a metal spatula with it. Well, that's wrong. You should be yeah, able to use anything. Fuck, on if a, I know that, I would approve. On an wrong. iron Damn one, no. Nah, he's thinking nonstick because nonstick has has like it's a film that you can scrape off well, a metal the food. container. Continuing. Nonstick pans can't take high heat, and high heat, lots of thick metal, durably bolted together so it won't deform when you blast it with BTUs. Don't think of it as an investment. Investment nonstick pans are going to be reliable money losers. <laughs> Next item here, uh, OXO utensil set with Caddy. OXO is not the only company I buy utensils from, but it's always my first choice. <laughs> it makes great, usable products at terrific price points. She's got a utensil guy? A utensil set. But she's like she's got like a list of companies she yeah, gets utensils. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, we all do. Preferred no, suppliers. I don't. I don't. I just get a bunch of utensils when I move. What's so good about these fucking Cuisinart utensils? stainless steel pot pan set? She says here, I choose the Cuisinart set because it was the cheapest stainless steel set on Amazon that was A, induction ready, and B, from a manufacturer I trust. But if you find a similar set on sale somewhere else, get that. <laughs> of course, she has an induction stove. Enamel Dutch oven. Enamel Dutch oven. Everyone's got to have one of those. I have one. I love it. They're pretty, of course. We're finding out from this that actually Will is reading it like, actually, these are all really good ideas. <laughs> I do. They do sound interesting. These Wait, are all really good purchases. Dutch... Thank you. Thank you, Megan McCarthy. I thought a Dutch oven was a sexual thing. <laughs> no, it's farting under the blankets. Yeah, a sexual thing. That's what said. <laughs> she, sa- she says of the enamel Dutch oven, Lodge doesn't have the cachet of a Le Creuset or Staub, but it doesn't have the price, and it makes a fine cast iron product. Wait, what is the, the kitchen Dutch oven? Red thing that I have right there. Oh, it's like a crock pot kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, von Shelf mixing bowls. There are three schools of thought on mixing bowls. No, there Metal, are. glass, <laughs> or thought. plastic. There are zero schools of thought on mixing bowls. <laughs> plastic will scar your dishwasher. Glass will break or be taken to someone's house and forgotten because it's pretty enough to bring for company. Metal will make horrible sounds when scraped with a metal utensil. I have all three, but the metal ones are the ones Just I Just three types of mixing bowls? Of course. Of course. Good lord! This woman's wealth a, must be expropriated. I ordered a set of these from an Amazon Lightning deal and have been very pleased with them. Uh, mesh strainers, 
Also, that doesn't no. help me. You ordered from an Amazon Lightning deal. Uh, why don't you tell me? <laughs> Echo Dot and Wall Mount. What? A first kitchen is apt to be a small kitchen, but that doesn't mean the chef won't want to listen to music or ask Alexa who the Tsar of Russia was in 1804. What? what? More practically, there are now a variety of cooking apps for Alexa, some of which are actually useful. If you don't want your child calling you every 10 minutes to find out how to cook roast beef, invest a few dollars in a machine I, I, that can answer those questions for you. So this, this dolt is in her kitchen, which I presume is large, because she's saying if you're younger, you have a small kitchen, while her husband is in his gaming den playing World of Warcraft, silently drinking cocktails, ignoring her, uh, and her only stimulus while cooking in her three different mixing bowls is talking to Alexa and asking Alexa who the Tsar of Russia was. It's By the a, way, uh, it was Alexander the first. <laughs> Alexander the first. Well, then she has get that Alexa. Christman in your you. kitchen. Get yeah. that Christmas in your kitchen. Well, you would be on my holiday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Alexa, what are what are signs of a bad relationship? Uh, if you husband well, games all day. Alexa, female orgasm real. <laughs> Alexa, have scientists found the clit in 2018? Uh, also, for the starter kitchen, you're going to need Pyrex measuring cups, dry measures and spoon, and a Breville immersion blender. Don't forget pot holders. Or, you, or as Megan says, you'll be asking, Alexa, how do you treat second degree? <laughs> a Victor Inox knife set. Victor Inox is the go-to recommendation for cheap knives. Coon Recon Spill Stopper. You can spend an insane amount of money on you kitchen You can, knives. but I mean, what's the real price point you want to be at? Because you don't want to get cheap knives... If they're low quality, that's how injuries happen. The next, the next sort of like grouping of items is called the hot beverage station. <laughs> and you can uh, get an electric kettle, which Megan says is a useful piece of equipment for anyone who likes tea or pour over coffee. These aren't gifts. These are something someone would have. For a various serious tea or coffee it's really, dripper, Realistically, it's like a housewarming list. This very fancy KitchenAid version, which lets you precisely control the temperature to get water that is just below boiling. Is that special? Someone in your a life has floors they could use? a rug a capresso burn grinder a technovorm mocha master Ooh, now these talking. are all fetishes you find on DeviantArt. <laughs> we've had our mo- we've had our mocha master technovorm Techno mocha master is my favorite interracial porn series technovorm that thing sounds like some like deviant art variety where it's like gundams with fur who like eat each other and then fuck each other's stomach linings <laughs> we've had our mocha master for going on eight years and it's working splendidly which is a far stronger record. than our marriage I yeah. think it- <laughs> I think an all right guy called me a mocha master once. <laughs> There's a stand mixer, a cake turntable set. Do you need a cake turntable to frost a cake? No. no. But if you frost a lot of cakes, you probably want one. This just makes me fucking sad. The thing about cakes. I'm Poor fit bowls. Imagining Megan just baking cakes for no one. Yeah. I mean, the, whole, the, her, the size of her kitchen is the size of the hole inside of her that she's trying to fill with fucking kitchen appliances. Umai dry steak, dry aged steak starter kit. You can dry aged steaks in your refrigerator. Actually, I kind of, I, I would like yeah, that. Yeah, see, that's, that's the thing. Good, yeah. Fucking Will wants half of this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And Nova immersion circulator with lid and bin. That's sous vide. That's where you can get meat perfectly cooked and then sear it. On if you've a, ever wanted to make chipotle at your own house. Yeah. I want to go to Megan's uh, kitchen. Meat pr- a gravy fat separator, mm. a shun boning knife, silicone basting brush, which Ooh, he says... Here's one for you, Felix, a smoking gun. Ooh. A smoking I, gun. Two of my favorite things. A smoking gun is, is a He's gun. He's got to win three more uh, 
duels in Battlefield for <laughs> unlock smoking the smoking gun? gun. Well, that means you can impart smoky, smoky tang to meat and even cocktails. Oh, I thought it was like a cool instrument that makes people respect uh, you. <laughs> it makes it so that you never have to wait in line. because you Does she have the Ron Popeil flavor injector? Does anyone remember the Ron Popeil flavor injector? This is my favorite Ronco product. It was a giant syringe with a huge... I remember this. Yes, with a huge fucking needle that you could stuff with things like whole garlic cloves. Yeah. And then you were supposed to John Travolta in Pulp Fiction style slam it into like a side of beef or something and then just inject it with this huge column of like fucking spices and uh, and whole garlic cloves. It was violent and cool. But like I I always watched it. I thought, all right, now it's just you have these little flavor like landmines in your meat and then it doesn't go anywhere else. There's no way that would work. It's awful. Okay. But it was cool looking. I'm, it was very cool. I'm skipping around. Here's a product that I think you all might know and love. The Vitamix. Ooh. Oh. Megan the Vitamix. Yes. She says, if you're planning to upgrade your blender to something really special, I mean, I, and I think we all are, you're probably planning to get a Vitamix. It really is just as good as the ads promise. Quality and reliability are both very high, which is why it has such a devoted, nay obsessive Why is it better than just a blender? It's well, there are several come towns about you this. You can also matter. buy, according to Megan, you can also buy a large wood cutting board. When she says, let's be honest, this is not going to make you a better cook. It's just going to make your kitchen prettier. But what's wrong with a beautiful kitchen? I want to go to Nothing. Megan's kitchen and do Benny Hanna up in this bitch. Uh, I want to go, I wanna go to Megan's kitchen and take a shit in the fucking immersion blender. Yeah, what's Megan reading? Megan's reading cookbooks like Jerusalem by Yotam Atolangini. And then Ad Hoc at Home, Slow Cooker Revolution, uh, Betty Crocker's Picture Cookbook. Oh, that's where her ideology comes from. Yeah. This is genuinely fucking... Uh, this a, is like... Oh, I, a, I feel like I'm... We've, we've said this before, but I genuinely feel like I'm having cancer infused into my yeah, body this listening to this. And, you, and wait, the thing to remember wait. about this... The thing to remember about this is all year... Megan Ricardo writes these articles that are ostensibly about how there are hidden costs to things like social democracy or redistribution of wealth that you have to war with Iraq and that we need and we need to think of before we go heedlessly into some reform project that could very well lead to uh, unexpected bad consequences. All of that is a cover. She is writing all of that all year round just so that she can preserve her absurd economic position that allows her to buy these ridiculous fucking gigaws that fill the hole in her heart where any kind of human community feeling should be. Uh, you say that, Matt, but like one thing that ha- doesn't have any hidden costs or externalities is the thermomix. It weighs. The it, it cooks. It's the Mike Thernovich. And he says... It exposes see, the truth. Yeah. Pizza you game. can directly... You can measure directly into the bowl, chop your vegetables, then cook it still in one bowl. And why does this matter? Mostly for custards, because the Thermomix is stirring as things cook. You get perfect custards every single time. Just toss the ingredients in the bowl, walk away, and come back in 10 minutes to flawless lemon curd, excellent hollandaise, or creamy bechamel. It's also brilliant for pureed soups, risottos, and similar fare. You can caramelize onions. Do you need this device? No. No. 
if you're a food enough of a food maven to make or make a hollandaise, you're enough of a food making food maven to learn how to make it a double boil. Uh, oh Jesus! I'm just I, imagining, I'm losing my mind. Honestly, I'm imagining the scene from Royal Tannenbaum's where Richie prepares to kill himself, and Needle in the Hay is replaced by a recitation of this fucking article. Uh, Bre- Breville Polyscience Control Stop it! Induction Burn. No, no more. <laughs> Can we just stop this episode? Tongs We're finished. Tongs with feet. No, yeah, I agree with Matt. We We're gotta, fucking we gotta done. Stop. We gotta stop. The Chris we gotta stop. Special. We gotta stop. Okay, we gotta end it. All right, we gotta end it. Happy Boxing Day, everybody. Happy, Happy boxing, boxing Day. day. Fight your families. Worst fucking thing you've ever read to us. I, the last worst thing was a Megan thing. Was yeah. her book, and that was just nothing. Few things have ever made me feel worse than that. That was like all the interstitial like uh, product sections in American Psycho. Fucking. That's what I said. I also said it. (laughs) That's Uh, a very depressing look at her empty life. Yeah, I feel wicked not good, guys. If you're you're Megan's husband and you ever want to play Overwatch sometime, let me know. I'm Obamacare. If you're Megan and you like want to do DMT or something, just if you're Megan, if you're Megan and you want to take a bath with an appliance like a. A thermomix, uh, a thermomix, or a or a microwave, if or a you're toaster yourself, oven. The best thing uh, you can use is a Vitamix. Yeah, Why I, use anything like? <laughs> I have several suggestions for the things that will get you the most amperage you need. So yeah, it's obviously too late for us to do the Chapo gift guide. But my recommendation, if you want something that's going to answer all your questions, get a Matt Chrisman. Matt, who is Goldwater's running mate? Oh, uh, that would be uh, uh, Miller. Um, I'm going to do my gift guide because it's only 364 days till the next Christmas. What do you get if you're like not a very good sibling? You don't know what people like. They like books. You don't know which ones. There are a lot of them. You get them cash or Amazon gift cards. You can exchange them anywhere. They can get anything. Oh, oh, happy. Um, Just get them cash. They'll be fine. It will be fine. That's what your grandparents get you because their brains are out of memory. They can't remember anything that you like, and all the stuff you like fucking sucks anyway. They just so they just give you stuff from their four hundred one k, and you can do that now. Be on the lookout for the Chapel gift guide coming in a year, a exactly year from now. A year from now <laughs> on December twenty sixth, two thousand eighteen. Right. So you can use it in two thousand nineteen. Okay, that's so, what the book is. So next time, to all my shadow wolves out there, st- be a ghost, be a spirit in the desert, stick to the old ways. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.